Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Well, we didn't get the recording done right again this week, but we're going to get better in the future, I promise. So anyway, sorry if this doesn't sound very good, but um, it's the best we got this week. So hope you enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's great to see all of you, and thank you so much for taking the time to be here this morning. And if you're if you're joining us online, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to log in. Um, today, we're continuing our series on Romans, but before I talk about Romans, I you may have noticed this table up here in the front, or the table that's in the back foyer. But in about five or six weeks, we have Neighborhood Clifton coming up. And if, you're, if you don't remember, Neighborhood Clifton happened before COVID. We had a year, and then we had a break for COVID. And then last year, we had one that throughout the year, we kind of were, are we going to get to do it again? We don't know. Are we going to get to do it again? And we, we had one, but it was kind of on a smaller scale. And this year, we're all the way back to full scale, trying to really uh, have a full, all-out Neighborhood Clifton. And so what I need from you, if you, if you remember the video we played a few weeks ago, um, we need to know jobs that we can help people with. Any kind of work that you think someone would be blessed in this community, whether it's a friend, whether you're a member of this church, let us know because we'd love, and, there, and there's a form you can pick up that they can fill out, that they can say, I could use help with brush being hauled off my lawn, or I could use help with, if, if they need a handlebar or a railing to walk up to their steps, anything that you can think of. Let us know, because my fear is not that we get too many jobs. My fear is that we don't get enough work, because I want everyone who volunteers to help out to feel like they got to do something and contribute. And guess what? Here's the good news, too. If we have 300 job requests and we can only get to 100, praise God, we're not limited to one Sunday morning a year that we can help those 200 other people. So we'll just find time the rest of the year to help those other people. So what I need from you is if you're willing... There's a form that you can sign up, a volunteer form, where you can come and you can check off where what you would maybe want to help with, what different area, you can sign your name, and uh, and just leave those there, and I'll pick them up. And if, if you want to get a t-shirt, they're six bucks. Um, if you already have a t-shirt, it's going to be the exact same t-shirt. You can come and you can fill out uh, a t-shirt request, but my hope is that you'll all be there. And, and what we're going to be doing, uh, if you're not familiar with it, if this is all brand new, is on Sunday, April 24th, we're going to meet at 8, or at 8 a.m. is where when breakfast will be available. But we're going to, at 9, be at the Armory as a whole community. We're going to meet there. We're going to have a service. All Anyone who wants to come is invited. And then after the service, the groups will then disperse to their different projects. And then we'll come back together at 1230 to just... You know, kind of like when Jesus sent out the 72 disciples and they came back and reported on everything that they saw Christ do through their service. So that's what's coming up on Sunday, April 24th. Now, Romans 5 through 8 has been building off of Romans 4. In Romans 4, Paul laid this incredibly solid groundwork that's still hard for us to believe today, which is that you are not the reason why you get to be saved and made righteous. It's not, not about how hard you work or how well you follow the rules. The Romans 4 tells us that it's because of Christ's righteousness and his faithfulness and your faith in him that you get to be made right with God. And from 5 through 8, he's been trying to show us that because of that truth, 
we now get to be a part of a new way of living as a human. Not the old way, but a new way of living as a people. And so one of the things, though, that Paul has done throughout chapters 5 through 8 is he's imagined what people might argue back at him. He's like already prepared. I can see, I can hear what you're probably thinking. And he'll ask the question, and then he'll say what he says is the answer to that question. And here in Romans 7, we once again have the same kind of question. It's one that we, we kind of touched on last week, but we're going to talk about further today. Which is, the, the question is, if God all along intended for us to have this new way of living, what was the point of him giving us the law, the Torah, back then, when God gave it to Moses and the people of Israel? What was the point of that? And so here, Paul is going to explain what the point of the law was. Before I read, I have one clue. This, this chapter, I just want you to know, it's really confusing. And I told Kevin last night, I debated a lot about how much to get into the weeds or not. If there's anything you're confused by, I, I invite you to come to our Wednesday night class where we'll get more into the weeds. But I'm going to try to stay out of the weeds as much as possible. So there's a few things you need to know just to make sense. And one of the key things you need to think, as you're reading this, anytime Paul says the word I, he is talking about himself. But he's also kind of talking about all of Israel also. It's kind of like when Bryce prayed earlier. And he said, God, I pray you be with us for all those who are in need. He's talking about himself, but he's also speaking for us. But in a lot of ways, his prayer is a prayer that you could say he's speaking for Christians all over the place. You think there's other churches that are praying for rain today? He's praying not just for us, but for capital U, us. And Paul, when he says I, he's talking about himself, but he's also talking about capital I, Israel, and the people of Israel. Okay, so let's read Romans 7, and we're going to just read 7 through 12 first. What shall we say then? Here's the question. Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would, have, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the law, the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law, it is holy, it's not the problem. And the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Okay, so here is... The, one of the big arguments that Paul's going to make throughout this chapter, and it's really our one, basically our one main point. So if you're a note taker, here is the one main point Paul is going to try and argue throughout all this. That the law isn't the problem. Sin is the problem. And we see in verses 7 through 12, he does something that's really incredible. Something that I don't think we would never necessarily notice, but he uses his own example of his covenant. And he says, you know, I was going about my life, living fine, having life, and then whenever I was told not to covet, I realized just how much I was coveting. But before, I didn't have any idea I was coveting. It didn't cross my mind. And, and what a lot of the things I read this week showed is that in a lot of ways, what Paul has just done is he has shown himself as a parallel to Adam and to Israel. How is Paul like Adam and how is he like Israel? Adam and Eve, they're placed in the garden, and God gives them a command. You, there are two trees in the center of this garden. 
You may eat from one, it is the tree of life, and you should not eat from the other, it is the knowledge of knowing good and evil. He gave a commandment. Is that commandment that God gave, was it sinful? Was it bad? No, it was not the problem. But he said, if you choose to do this, if you choose to choose the wrong one, it will lead to death. Now, do Adam and Eve eat it and then drop dead? No. So that's how we know. It's talking about a spiritual death. And the death involved a banishment from the garden, a separation from God. Israel was given the law, the Torah, a command. And God told them, this will give you life. This will bring life to you. But what do they do? They constantly, the second God gave them the Ten Commandments, what are they doing down at the base of the mountain? They're worshiping an idol. And the second command is do not worship any other gods. And the third command is don't make any idols of other gods. The second, they're, they're already breaking it from the get-go. And so for Paul, he's trying to, trying to say in all of these examples with Adam and Eve, with Israel, the law was not the problem. The commandment that was, was not the problem. It was our sin that made us experience this death, this thing where, as Paul is describing, you know, I used to be alive, but then the law came and now I died. The law didn't kill Paul. It was the sin that was a part of his old life that made him make these, not made him, but, you know, really encouraged him to make these mistakes and led him to this place of death and of exile, of being exiled from the garden and Israel being exiled from uh, the promised land into, yeah, I've said exile five times now. But I've already said in one of my earlier sermons, when, when Paul really gets onto the Romans and about what sin is, he makes the argument that sin, whatever your view of sin is, is that sin is exchanging the glory that God intends for you, the life-giving tree of life, the life-giving law, and exchanging it for something else, something that's our own selfish desires, something that we determine to be right or wrong. And Paul has discovered that the prohibition against what he uses coveting as an example, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't the problem, but it exacerbated and it, and it increased his desire to do the thing. So one shouldn't conclude that the law is sinful, but rather that the, the sin is so cunning that it basically was able to hijack this good thing that God had for us and use it for its own devices. I'm going to use an analogy that I hope works, but any of you who've had children may have experienced this before, but pretty frequently, Landry Jo will be playing in the living room with, let's say she's playing with colors in a piece of paper. Marshall will come waddling in and he'll go to his little, he'll go over here to this toy. And Landry Jo hasn't paid any attention to that toy for, for Three hours. But the second Marshall starts playing with that, she stands up and she goes, Mama, I want to play with that. I, I want to play with that toy. That's my toy. And we literally are like, Major Joe, you couldn't have cared less about that toy two seconds ago. But the second you saw Marshall playing with it, you immediately wanted that. This is kind of what I have pictured with Paul when he's describing the law. He's saying, listen, the law in and of itself isn't bad. But there are ways in which sin was able to hijack the law so that before, you may not have known that you were wanting something. But then the second God told you, don't do that, you were like, oh, I want that. You know what I mean? The second you heard, yeah, you shouldn't do this or that, you immediately were like, man, I need to know why that's something I can't do. That sounds fun. I want to. Okay, is my analogy making sense? Okay. All right, so let's keep reading. 
Romans 7, 13 through 20. Did, did that which is good then become death to me? Did the law hold me? No, by no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it, was, it used what is good to bring about my death. It hijacked it. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Meaning, I think this is, this is where I, I would say, for example, if I, um, I'm someone who stresses about things, and as a kid, that was to my benefit. I got really good grades because I was a stressor. I stressed about my homework. I stressed about the test. I made lots of A's. And yet, there came a point, I remember, where someone told me, don't you think that stressing is just a sign that you don't really trust God, like, with what's going to happen? Ugh, all of a sudden, now that someone revealed to me, like, well, hey, you know, your sin is probably a sign that you're not really trusting. Now, I feel really bad when I stress. I feel like a guilt for stressing because I'm not trusting. And this is what I think when he says, the commandment, uh, sin became utterly sinful. I think what he means is that for Paul, once he knew that that was wrong, it almost amplified it because he now was so much more aware of how this thing that he was originally doing was a problem, but now it feels like a lot of sin because it's constantly on my mind that I shouldn't be doing this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Here comes a famous, lots of words that you know can confuse you and me. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. This is a very bold statement by Paul here. You know, when we talk about accountability for your actions, he's saying that old humanity, in a lot of ways, stuff that happens is because of a sin problem that is almost like really leading you to do those things. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Alright, so let's talk about this for a little bit. The issue beginning with verse 13 is whether or not the law is the cause of death. And Paul emphatically concludes, no, the law doesn't kill you. The death of Israel, of Adam, and Eve, of Paul is due to the power of sin, which overwhelms the desire to keep God's law. Paul is saying, like, the goodness of the law is vindicated, it's exonerated, but the power of sin over Israel is demonstrated in our weakness against this sinful nature. Now, here's where I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit, because it, I have to. There are two arguments about this passage, and you're either, you either feel this way or this way. And I'll tell you, one day I might be over here, and the next day I might be over here. I really, I'm not even joking. Like, and here's, here's the main argument. When Paul says all of this, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do, the question is, is Paul talking about his life before he became a Christian, or is he talking about his life currently as a Christian? Okay, this is a big argument. You might be sitting there going, like, I don't know, you know why people argue about these things. But the point is, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend a little time talking about one of those, and then later I'll talk about the other. So right now, what I want to talk about, if you're sitting here reading this, 
and you believe that Paul's description of his constant, this vicious cycle of every morning I have these good intentions and I never seem to do the good intentions, and every day I try to avoid these bad things, yet I constantly find myself doing them. If you believe that that is Paul talking about his current life as a Christian, here are some of the takeaways that I think you need to know. One, it's kind of a warning that no matter how old you are, how long you've been a Christian in your life, we never get to a point where we completely and totally conquer sin in our life. The more advanced and more mature we are as Christians, in many ways, the more aware we are of just how much sin is at work in our lives. For me, a good illustration would be I went to ACU thinking this is where I'm going to learn everything I need to know about the Bible so I can go use it at a church. The more I studied scripture, the more I realized just how little I knew scripture. The deeper I got into the well, it's like a, it was a well that wasn't like this, where it was like, oh, I don't know anything. Oh, now I know everything. It was like the top of the well was this big. And what the deeper I got into it, the more I realized how little I knew. Okay. Like an iceberg, you know, the tip of the iceberg is you only see like 5%. I think Paul would say, actually, the more mature you become, the more you meet a mature Christian, usually the more they're like, trust me, I am not perfect. And like, yeah, you are. Have you seen yourself? If, if, no, if you're not perfect, nobody's perfect. It's like, no, it's the more mature you become in your faith, the more you realize just how much you are never going to be able to conquer this. And then another comfort, though, a comfort, if we believe that this is talking about our current Christian life, is that it is typical for us to struggle with sin. Uh, One person I read used the analogy, have you ever heard that a wounded bear is more dangerous than a healthy bear? Whenever Christ comes into your life, the bear has been wounded and is conquered. And that sin is now even more under the desire to attack you and to keep you from doing what you need to do. I heard, uh, yeah, Satan is a roaring lion and he is desiring to, to, to come and to keep you from what Christ would want you to have. And so it's a comfort to us to realize that if you have chosen to get baptized, if you've chosen to follow Christ, and you find yourself constantly under these same temptations, you should be comforted to know that temptations to sin and testing are consistent with becoming and maintaining a Christian life. Okay. Before we talk about the other idea, let's read the final section. Verse 21. So, I find this law at work. Or, I find this law at work is what I have in my translation. Some of you maybe have a different one, but it's basically like, he's like saying, okay, now that we've looked at all the facts, here is what I find. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In my true, deepest self, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, another principle that's working in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So Paul, he he shows and this, I think the line that's most powerful is when he uses this phrase, I delight in God's law. Uh, I, I didn't put it up there, but I, I thought of, it would be good to read this from Psalm 19. This is from Psalm 19, the idea of an Israelite desiring God's law, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. That sounds like someone who loves God's law and delights in it. And what we see Paul wrestling with here is that it's almost like the closer I hold this law and the closer I want to do these things that bring life, the more I, I struggle to see the way that sin is still at work in me. It, it's almost like the more he loves it, the more sad he is when he's not able to fully live it out and fully do it in his life. And I think we can all relate to that. We can all think of ways in which the more we come to know Christ, the more we want to live the way Christ would want us to. And yet we struggle when we feel like, why can't I do it? I want this so bad. Israel, it seems, has been called to hold on to the enormous tension between being called to be the light of the world and having God's law on their hearts and discovering, like everyone else, that they are still sinners. And that is why Paul view, Paul's view of Jesus is so important. And why the answer to the question, who is going to rescue me from this vicious cycle, is that God will, through Jesus the Messiah, our Lord. Jesus is the perfect representative of, it, of Israel. He is the one who went through the tests. He is the one who walked among us. And he is the one that God sent to set us free from this cycle. And so here is where I will make an argument for the other side. I think there is a good chance that what Paul is saying is that this is what my life was like before I became a Christian. And that he does believe, like I said, you can see now where, why it would be important to argue about this. He does believe that now that Christ has come, sin is no longer the master of my decisions. Yes, I'll still make mistakes, but it is no longer the thing that I can't help myself against. And in my opinion, that is incredibly good news. And by the way, I just have a deep down hope that that's the right answer. Now, does my life display that that's the answer? Probably not. Actually, absolutely not. But my hope is, is that when God comes and sets us free, when we choose to have faith in him, when his spirit is given to us, that I trust that his spirit is doing something in my life that is more and more and more making the sin in my life something that I am choosing to not live into what God wanted me to do, the sin, making it slowly turn down in my life as my desire to do what God would want, his will, fear of the Lord, slowly and steadily increases in my life. So one good question you should probably be thinking is, Drew, why do we need to know all this? I wonder that too. Um, one answer is, we've got to get to Romans 8. Um, but another answer is, is that clearly Paul is writing to people where the law was so important. And he's trying to make sure they know, I'm not saying the law is bad. I'm saying the law is very good. I'm just saying, if that's all you have, you will never be set free. But if you have Jesus, you will be set free. When God gave us the law, it wasn't just, here's a lot of really good rules on how to live a good life. It was not a moral handbook. This is what the law was. N.T. Wright sums it up really well. When God gave the Torah, the law, oh, when God gave the Torah, his intention was to further the purposes for which he called Israel. These purposes were not simply about teaching the world a better standard of morality. They were about rescuing the world from sin and death. To accomplish the same, God sent not just his Torah, but also his Son and his Spirit, to do at last what the Torah wanted to do, but by itself could not. So this is our hope, and this is the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. 
that because of what he did and God sending him for us, we know that the purposes that God has had from all along of rescuing us have been fully completed in Jesus Christ. And if you would like to be someone, if you are someone who would like to be set free from this cycle of constantly finding yourself doing things that you don't want to do and constantly finding yourself not doing the things you really want to do, I believe that Jesus Christ is the answer and that he can set us free to this life where we get to live in freedom and life and all the good things that God had in store for us. And it's only through Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about that, I encourage you to come and talk with us. And if any of you have any prayer requests, elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and while we sing this song.